0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from uh, Luke 7, the verses 1 to 10. You can find that in your Blue Pew Bibles on page 1,602. Before we read, let us pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word and as we're about to hear your uh, servant preach to us, we pray that you open our ears and you open our hearts to receive it and that our feet and hands may walk this throughout the week. Amen. Page 1,602, Luke 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord.
1: There's a story in the Old Testament that powerfully portrays the authority of God's redemptive word in the world. It's a vivid and powerful story from the prophet Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. In this story, Ezekiel is brought by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley full of dry, decaying bones. And God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, to speak the word of the Lord to the bones, And to his utter amazement, Ezekiel watches as the bones rattle and come together. Sinews form, flesh appears, and skin covers the newly formed bodies. Ezekiel prophesies once again, and breath enters the bodies. And there before Ezekiel is a vast army. This vision gives me hope as a Christ follower in the world today. It gives me hope to realize that the same God who gave Ezekiel this vision is the same God who in the beginning spoke and creation came into being. The same God who breathed life into, into the nostrils of Adam and Eve is breathing life into the world he created. Even a world whose hope seems to be the dashed on the rocks of hopelessness. Consider Ezekiel's context. Ezekiel lived in Judah several centuries before Christ. He witnessed the defeat of Judah by the Babylonians and the exile of the people of Judah to Babylon. The bones that Ezekiel saw represented the house of Israel, which in many ways was spiritually dead because of their rebellion from God that led to their exile. But they were also physically cut off and cut down in numbers. The people of Israel expressed their hopelessness, saying, Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. Israel was decayed, dried up, and for all intents and purposes, dead. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. Have you ever felt that way before? Perhaps you feel that way now. Can you resonate with that sentiment, that idea? Perhaps you felt spiritually dry or you feel spiritually dry that God is distant from you. Or perhaps you are going through family trials that you never thought you would have to face. Or perhaps you can consider a time when your church was dry and hopeless. And the church that operates often out of a view of scarcity in a protection mode. And I know this congregation it was merely 20 years ago when this church was considering closing its doors. That sense of hopelessness. Or perhaps you can look at the nation around us, the Canadian culture Our Canadian neighbors seem to be falling in many ways farther and farther away from the good news of the gospel. It's almost as if people are becoming immune to hearing about Jesus. From a human perspective, in many ways, our situation can seem hopeless. But then God speaks to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? That's a good question, God. Ezekiel says, oh Lord God, only you know and from, Ezekiel, from for Ezekiel, when considered merely from a human perspective, the situation is hopelessly lost. There's no way for Ezekiel or for Israel it's to repair itself, to fix itself, to pull itself up again, to redeem the situation. But where things are hopeless from a human perspective, for God, nothing is beyond hope. Nothing is beyond redemption. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy, thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And it happened. All that was needed was for God to speak the word of life into a hopeless situation, and there was life again. There was hope again. You see, God's word is active living, transforming any situation, bringing life from death. When God speaks, his words not only inform us, not only feed us with truth, they perform something, they accomplish something. This was the incredible insight from the centurion in our passage this morning in Luke. Just say the word, the centurion says, and my servant will be healed. He knew that Jesus need only speak, and it would transform the human life. Who told him that? Where did he get this insight from? This centurion wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a middle-ranking military officer, a pawn in the Roman army, stationed in Capernaum to keep the peace. Maybe he was God-fearing. The text tells us that he built the Jewish synagogue. But he certainly wasn't in the in crowd. He wasn't belonging to the people of God. He had never met Jesus. He had only heard about him. But yet, this man could see something about Jesus that even Jesus' closest followers could not. And Jesus marveled at his faith. This is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus openly marvels at someone's faith. Jesus says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Who told the centurion that Jesus, the compassionate one, need only say the word, and his servant who was sick and on his deathbed would regain his health? Where did he get that insight from? The centurion says, I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and this one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Somehow the centurion recognized that just as he has authority over his hundred troops, so Jesus has authority over life and death itself. John Calvin paraphrases the centurion this way, saying, I have soldiers under me, but you, Jesus, have spiritual powers, healing angels, disease, and death under you. How did he know that Jesus' words have power over life and death? By virtue of his office. Today, authority is under scrutiny. We live in a culture where authority is encouraged to be questioned, if not totally disregarded. And we are encouraged to distrust authority figures. But in the military, authority is essential. In the military, authority has to be central in order for things to operate. Especially back in that culture, in the, Romans, in the Roman army, the centurion knew how things work. He was a man under authority, and he was a man with authority over others. And when you have authority, You just need to say the word, and something happens. Your order is carried out without question. The centurion recognized how things work with authority. And when he saw Jesus, he saw someone who had authority himself. We don't know if he really understood who Jesus was at that time, that Jesus in his ministry was the embodiment of the Son of God. But he humbly recognized that Jesus is the one with true authority. And the centurion threw himself on Jesus, threw everything, his last hope on Jesus. And he wasn't disappointed. More amazing, the this, this centurion's servant was healed by, by a man he had never met, by words he didn't even hear. Just say the word. One of, the most greatest, one of the greatest needs in our time is for the church of God to recover this confidence in the word of God. We know the power of our words. Try, if you go to a movie theater, if you try and yell fire really loud, you're going to see your words have an immediate impact on the people around them. And you also know that many of you who, who are married, when you come to the front of the church on that special day, You have someone who's a pastor, who's ordained, who has the authority to speak simple words over you. I now pronounce you man and wife. And a miracle happens. The two become one. Our words have power. Our words, when we speak into a room, we can change the atmosphere very quickly by our words. We can change a relationship very quickly by our words. And this is why we watch out for things like gossip, or slander, or carelessly throwing insults at others, because our words can have such a great impact. And sometimes, unfortunately, it seems like our words have a greater impact to do damage than they have to do good. Sometimes we want to try so hard to speak into someone's situation, someone who feels broken, someone who feels helpless, someone who feels hurt, we want to speak Words that will heal them. Words that will make them whole. And then, sometimes we find the limitations of our words. Our words can fail us. Our words can return to us empty. Sometimes they have no power at all. But how about Jesus' words? Is there ever a time when Jesus' words return to him empty. Is there ever a time when there's no power in Jesus' words? When nothing happens when he speaks? No. This is, this is clear throughout Scripture. And what the centurion only recognized in part, we have the full revelation. Jesus needs need to only speak and something happens. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has the power of the Almighty. He needs to only speak into a broken and hopeless situation, and a new reality comes crashing in. Jesus spoke in his ministry to the diseases. He said, be healed, and they were healed. He said to the storm and to the wind and waves, be still, and they were quiet. He said to demons, his enemies, get out, and they had no choice but to leave. And in the next story, right after this one, we see Jesus encountering a widow who has lost her only son. And she says, and he says to the, to the woman's son, young man, I say to you, get up. And he gets up. Jesus speaks to Peter, you will be called Cephas, the rock, and on you I will build my church. And he says to the body of believers in Acts chapter 1 you will have power and you will be my evidence in all the world and when Jesus says it it happens the church is built and has expanded throughout the world and we as God's people are God's witness to the world why because Jesus this man who healed the centurion servant was no no other than the creator of this world He is the commander. He is the one with true authority. His words never return empty. They always accomplish something. Always. Always. Jesus is the creator. In the beginning, he called out to nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the world began to teem with life, light, diversity, and potential. Ten times in Genesis, God said, let there be. And there was. Jesus is not only the creator, he is the sustainer. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. And in Colossians 1, in Christ, all things are held together. Now, many of us in today's culture who study science know a lot about natural laws. And there's a a strong temptation among, among scientists to say, well, we don't need God to explain how the universe exists anymore. We've got natural laws. We know about things about like gravity. We know how the world works, and that's just how it all fits together. But as God's people, we know that natural laws are merely God's normal speech pattern for how he sustains this world. Presbyterian pastor and author Daryl Johnson when when speaking about G.K. Chesterton said that G.K. Chesterton suggested each new day is not just the product of some unstoppable mechanical process. Rather, each new day is the result of God saying to the sun, do it again, to the moon, do it again, to my heart, beat again, to your lungs, breathe again. Every moment... That this world, this universe, our lives, our communities are held together, are held together by the Word of God, by the Word of Christ, His sustaining Word. Sometimes we look at the world, and we can look at everything wrong that's going on, and we can forget that God is still holding this world together by His active Word. When Jesus speaks, Something always happens. Always? Ask Matthew, who was sitting as a tax collector, and when Jesus came to him and said, come, follow me, he left his money, he left his post, and he followed Jesus. Ask Peter and Andrew, who when they were fishing, Jesus said, follow me. They had no choice but to drop their nets, to leave their families and follow him. Ask Zacchaeus, who was in the tree when Jesus walked up to him. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus had no power but to listen to the word of God. Ask Lazarus of Bethany, who was dead and buried for four days in the tomb. And when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, who had no opportunity to respond to choose to respond to God's word, came out full of life. Jesus' words had an immediate, powerful, transformative effect. Just say the word, the centurion says. God only needs to speak over a human being, over human nations, human cultures, and they are revived, renewed, and restored. The centurion recognized this and threw himself onto Jesus, the creator, sustainer, and redeemer. As I have said before, one of the greatest needs for the church, and by extension, one of the greatest needs for our world today, is for the church of God to recover confidence in the word of God. And this is modeled in the faith of the centurion. We realize that Jesus didn't listen to the centurion because he was someone special and God doesn't listen to us because we are somehow worthy the centurion approaches Jesus with humility there is no reason in himself that God should listen to him he didn't try to convince Jesus that he was somehow worthy now you note that the Jewish elders they tried to convince Jesus that the centurion was worthy they worked out of a model of God which they thought that you have to prove yourself to God in order for God to come and do something for you. Not the centurion. The centurion says, Lord, and he sent his message through his friends, don't trouble yourself and come to my house. I do not deserve for you to come under my roof. That's, not, that's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. He threw himself in hope on Jesus, knowing That Jesus has authority, but also knowing that Jesus is the compassionate one. Knowing that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He sensed Jesus has power, but greater still, he sensed that Jesus has compassion. Jesus doesn't listen to our prayers, our cries, because we have proven ourselves worthy, or because we belong to the in crowd. Jesus listens because he has compassion, I've seen the, the Word of God powerfully at work in Jesus answering prayer through a story of my professor at Tyndale. One time, I remember my professor didn't come to class, and we received word that his daughter-in-law had a massive brain aneurysm, was on life support, and there was no expectation from the medical professionals that she would have any hope for survival. And she was a mother of two and, and a wife. I remember that the next week when my professor came back, he asked us to pray for her. And he said, we can't just pray that God works and makes her well again. We need to pray that she is brought back from the dead. We need a Lazarus kind of miracle here. We need God to, to raise her from the dead because essentially she is just brain dead. In the hospital. Over the course of a few weeks. And months. We heard about her improvements. Beyond any medical hope. Over the next couple years. She became back to normal. This is the word of God working in her life. As the whole Christian community was praying for her. As the whole Christian community put their faith that only Jesus could heal her. So she was healed. It's amazing. Now, some of you might say, well, that is an amazing story of God's healing, but it doesn't always work that way. And you'd be right. Of course, God reserves the right to grant us whatever we wish when we pray. I know that I've been disappointed many times in prayers, and I'm sure you have too. But it doesn't mean that God is incapable or no longer compassionate. Usually, from my perspective, when God doesn't give us something that we ask for, he has something more for us in store, something that we couldn't imagine in the time of our need. And if that's not enough, we know that as God's people, we have hope when we look forward to the day when Christ comes again, that all all the, the pain and brokenness, the evil of this world will become undone When Jesus comes to speak a final, powerful, restorative word over this world, all things will be made new again. And this is good news, people of God. The good news this morning is that we are powerless to change this world. Yes, that is good news. Jesus is the one who has power. Jesus is the one who has authority. And this is good news because it's not up to us. It's up to him. It's good news because we don't carry the burden for redeeming this world. We don't bring in the kingdom of God. Only Jesus does. We are merely the evidence of God's goodness at work in the world. If it was up to me and my efforts to foster my relationship with God, there would be no hope for me if it was up for, up to our church councils and committees or even the pastor to make the ministries of this church to thrive and succeed, then guys, we might as well quit and throw in the towel. If it's up to you or I for God's kingdom to come here in Hamilton and wherever we work and live, then it would be a lost cause. It's not us who bring healing to this world. It's not us who makes the valley of the dry bones live, it's our God. So people, let's stop acting like it's up to us and let us model ourselves after that centurion and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus in faith in him. Can we trust him with the hopelessness of our situation and with our lives, with our brokenness? Can we trust him with the valley of the dry bones? Do we believe that He has power to speak a redemptive word in our lives? Do we trust Him? Do we live and pray every day knowing that it's all up to God? Do we believe that God has the authority and to desire to renew our lives, our homes, our church, Hamilton, in all of Canada? Just say the word. Such a simple but deeply profound faith that belonged to the centurion long ago. And it's a faith that we too can share. It's a realization that only God can change my heart, my family, my city, and this world. For when God speaks, His word always transforms. Always. When God speaks, His active presence brings salvation to human beings, human nations, human cultures, so that they become revived, renewed, and restored. This morning, God is present in his word. God is speaking to us here and now. He is actively redeeming our lives, strengthening us with hope. Do you sense his Holy Spirit? Is he igniting your heart? Can you dare to have your eyes opened and believe that in Jesus the one who has all authority and power, the compassionate one, is still turning the valley of dry bones into an army fit to serve his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, just say the word. We pray that those words may be in our heart and on our lips. That with the same faith and desperation that the centurion had, that we may approach you and cry out to you to just say the word. And our lives would be renewed. Our families would be renewed. Our church would be a place to flourish. Our city and our world would be redeemed. And God, help us to see the many ways around us. When we are blind to see, help us to see the ways that your word is active in redeeming the situation, redeeming hopelessness, redeeming those who we might think are beyond all redemption. We pray, Jesus, that you will give us faith that we need to carry us forward each and every day to turn to you to seek you with all of our hearts. We pray this in your name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Now we have the time, an opportunity to worship. Let us sing, stand and sing together, Jesus heard with deep compassion.